Okay, so we're going to talk about wisdom today. We're going to talk about James 3, and you can turn there. One of the things that has been so fun for me is studying ancient history and um, getting ready for this year. And one of the things that I was studying the past two weeks is Nimrod. How many of you guys have heard of Nimrod? And, you know, you've heard people say, don't be a Nimrod. Have you ever heard that? Don't be a Nimrod. So, anyway, it talks about it talks about Nimrod and how, you know, it says the people settled in the land of Shinar. And then it says that Nimrod went and he planted, he started a city, Babel, and then another city, Uruk, and then a few more cities. And that that was the beginning of his kingdom. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. When you... Um, when you read about Babel, of course, what happened at Babel? The Tower of Babel. So I was looking up some historians, and I looked up Josephus, and Josephus wrote a history of the earth. He lived about the time of Christ, and he had this to say about Nimrod, and I wish I would have brought it so I could read it to you. But he said, Nimrod um, incited the people to turn away from God, and to create their own city, their own tower that would reach the heavens. And Nimrod said, if God judges the earth again, I am going to be so high in my tower that the floodwaters cannot reach me. And I will have revenge on God. Now that's from a historian that, I mean, so, you know, it, it probably is true, but it's not the word of God. So it might not be true, but there's some reason that was written down. Josephus went on to say that the building blocks were coated with a waterproof coating. So they built this huge zigonaut, you know, a mountain to the sky. Somehow they're going to reach the heavens, but also so that Nimrod could avoid the judgment of God. But Nimrod already had a promise from God. He was Noah's great-grandson. He was Ham's grandson. He was Cush's son. All of them knew the story, and they knew. God said, I will never destroy the earth with water again. No more floodwaters. And he sent the rainbow. And he said, and every time you see the rainbow, remember that. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking how, how did Nimrod incite people to turn against God and to help him build the Tower of Babel? And I don't think he just walked up and just stood there. Do I have time? He had to say something, didn't he? He had to speak words. He had to say things that would stir people up to want to turn away from God and do what was evil. And he stirred up a lot of people. And so that got me thinking, um, wow, that kind of ties into James 3, you know, because I was kind of preparing James 3. I'm studying this, and I thought, wow, that really ties in together because Nimrod was not someone who had wisdom. And so I'm going to read James 3, and we're going to talk about it. 
And then we're going to talk about how to be a wise woman. In Proverbs 31, it says she has the law of kindness on her tongue. It talks about she speaks with wisdom and she can laugh at the days to come. You know, it doesn't mean she goes, oh, that's going to be really silly, awful. You know, she laughs at the days to come. She doesn't worry. She doesn't fret because she knows the future. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 37. Amen? Okay, so um, the tongue is a fire. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, because you know that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. Um, I think the NIV says, um, don't presume to be teachers, my brothers, because we who teach will be judged more strictly. What does yours say? Um, three one. Okay, so right off, who do you think he's talking to? What? Oh, okay. He's probably talking to people who want to teach, who want to be leaders, or who already are. So, you know, and I remember being a young Christian, I led some people to the Lord, and then I was discipling them, and then I was leading Bible studies, and I came across this verse, and I memorized it because I said to the Lord, oh my goodness, I do not want to teach things and be judged more strictly, because what I'm teaching isn't right, or I'm holding people to a standard that is beyond what I'm living, or anything like that. So it really was a sober verse, so that verse is really precious to me. And I think we have to ask ourselves, I think we have to stop at this verse and say, we will be judged more strictly. Of what kind of judgment? What what judgment does Jesus talk about? What are some judgments that Jesus mentions when he's like in his ministry? Little ones astray. Little ones astray. If you lead a little one astray, yes. Okay. Well, that's us judging. He says that we will give an account for every word. Now, I don't know about you, but I am totally hiding out well, when that happens. This needs to be preached a lot more. <laughs> so... That is so scary to me because so many times a word is out. I'm like trying to pull it back. And I'm thinking, did I say that? Oh my goodness. Sometimes I say to my kid, did that just come out of my mouth? I can't believe it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, so. I actually can tell from the looks on everybody's face. So here we have this Jesus saying, you're going to give an account for every word you say. But if you're a teacher, you're going to be judged more strictly. So, I mean, it could be about other things too. But I think as he's talking about that, and that this is my opinion, this is not the word of God. But I think he is because then he goes on and he talks about the tongue. And he talks about controlling the tongue. So we're going to go um, forward. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, 
able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is as a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So, wow. You know, James, who is the brother of Jesus, is basically saying, your tongue has no hope. Your tongue has no hope. It's set on fire by hell, and it sets everything around it on fire, and it's a deadly poison, and blah, 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 blah. So you read this and you say, oh my goodness, I am just chopping out my tongue. Because that will solve everything, won't it? I can't speak. Well, Jesus said that it is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So I really believe what James is saying is that, and there's another verse in Proverbs that says, when words are many, sin is not absent. So that's one reason, like, I don't, I don't get in, like, hours of conversation with people. That's one reason I don't. This is personal. I'm not saying you need to do this, too. I'm telling you my personal secrets. I don't get in hours of conversation with people because of that verse. Because I know when words are many, sin is not absent. And I don't want to sin. And I don't trust myself after a certain amount of time to not spill things that are maybe not supposed to be said. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's just... That's just me personally. Um, and other people are a lot more self-controlled. But I know that if something is in my heart, it is going to come out through my tongue. Sometimes it doesn't come out in exact words. It can come out in sarcasm. It can come out in jokes. It can come out in other ways. And do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yep. Okay. So we're all on the same page, right? We all, we all know. So our heart is where all this stuff originates. It's in our heart. But the problem is when things come out of our mouth, 
they stir up things to a greater degree. And I'll, I'll explain. So I get together with Brooklyn. Did you hear what they did? And I don't know if we should be talking to her a lot because she's just so negative. I know, right? So I'm talking negatively about Marissa. By the way, that's not true. To Brooklyn, and I am stirring Brooklyn's heart against Marissa by what I say. So what started in my heart as something negative is now spread to Brooklyn's heart as something negative too. Then Brooklyn is going to talk back to me and that's going to stir it all the more. And pretty soon, poor helpless little May is going to be ostracized and not know why. It can also happen with complaining. So I call Mary and say, And Marielle says, but I love to read. (laughs) And Marielle says, I know, I hate reading. And I say, I know I hate reading too, but maybe I really do like it. But because our words have power and they impart life or death, the power of life is in the tongue. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So our words always are impacting They're always imparting life and death to the people around us. So that's why if you want to be a happy person that people like, then what? Speak positive words. But you can't speak positive words unless your heart is positive. It won't work. Because if I say, oh... Such a great day. So thankful. (laughs) Yes, Mikulana. You know, something that, like, you taught, I feel like you taught me, the the Lord has taught me through you, is I tried with myself to do works, is not to speak how I feel, or what I see, but speak God's word. influences me too because God's word spoken out loud kind of you know encourages my soul like when David said um why are you so downcast oh my soul like put your hope in God for I will yet again praise you that's my savior and so like he's kind of speaking to himself and that is very good and that is not trying to that's not like a name it and claim it like okay I just cut I just cut my foot and I'm gushing blood everywhere and, you know, I was cut with an infected bubonic plague knife or something. You know, I'm not going to go, oh, I, you know, I'm not bleeding in Jesus' name. You know, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. But when you speak the word, remember, and, and we talked about this two weeks ago. We talked about it last week. The word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's powerful. It penetrates to the bone and marrow. And I tell people that all the time. When you're dealing with a non-Christian and they're antagonistic to you, 
you don't have to say the Holy Bible says, but you can just speak the word, speak a scripture in that situation and watch what happens because the word is living, it's active, it's powerful. And so if you want to use the word like that, you do have to memorize it. And we did talk about memorizing last week. But so that's what Mickey Lana is talking about. She's talking about when you're complaining, when you feel angry, when you feel bitter, when you just feel no energy or tired or you're not excited about anything, then speak the word. So you might say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He heals my diseases. Oh, he pardons my sins and he heals all my diseases. He separates my sin as far as the east is from the west. That's Psalm 103. And so, you know, so I'm just saying to myself, okay, you're grumpy. My soul doesn't get downcast as much as grumpy. How many of you get grumpy souls? Some of you get downcast souls. I get a grumpy soul. And so I have to speak the word and say, okay, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then I just list his benefits. And then I'm changing my insides. I don't believe in changing outward behavior to try to be someone you're not. I believe that God changes us from the inside out. I believe that when we read the word and, and we say, oh, that's what God wants, I'm doing it. That's, that's the kind of Christians we want to be. We don't want to be pretending to be something we're not. So people go, oh, have you seen Marielle? She's God's woman of faith and power for the hour. You know, that's not what we want. We want to be genuine. We want to be real. But at the same time, we can grab a hold of the darkness that we find inside. And we can get rid of it. So... Allow your words to show you what's in your heart. If you walk away from someone and you realize, wow, I was rude, then allow the Lord to show you what is in your heart that would make you do that. If you walk away and say, wow, I was really complaining, then allow the Lord to show you that your heart is not good. Let the Lord use the things you say to show you what is inside your heart. So, um, I love I love writing because you can delete. Right? You can delete. You say you start writing a post on Facebook, and then you think, oh, that just sounds not like what I want to say air, backspace, start again. It's so easy, but when you speak, your words are out there and you can't hold them back. How many of you have words you wish you could take back? And that is honest. And so that is the reality of where we live. And when you sin with how you speak, repent, and then receive God's forgiveness Always receive God's forgiveness when you repent. 
always receive his forgiveness to the point that you're jumping. You forgave me for being a brat. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Because God's forgiveness is full. His forgiveness is full and complete. So, enough of the tongue. Um, It goes on and it says, it talks about a fountain with salt water and fresh water. And we know, um, you know, it's it's talking about our heart. And it's going to go on and we're going to read about wisdom from James 3. And I, I want you to understand something. This kind of wisdom is not about being an expert. This kind of wisdom is about a life that flows from a heart that's consecrated to God. And that's what a woman who is wise is. Not someone who's an expert and has all the answers. You will never have all the answers because only Jesus has all the answers. And I cannot tell you how many times I say, wow, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you're hurting like that. I, I I don't know how I would be responding right now. I really need to, to pray for you and ask the Lord to show us something. Today, Mimi, my aunt, checked herself out of her rehab a few months ago against everyone's advice, especially mine. And I'm her little, what am I? Her helpful surrogate. I'm her helpful surrogate. I'm her everything. You know, like I can sign all her papers and stuff. And so she's not returning any of my phone calls. I get the flu, so I don't call her for a little bit. Finally, I call her. She's not returning any of my phone calls. And then I find out from my Aunt Joan, she went home. (laughs) She's home. (laughs) She can't walk. She can't move around. She's home. And so I'm thinking, oh, boy, she's going to fall again. Lord, please protect her. So, of course, she fell. So the first thing she said when I got to the hospital today is, you know, why is God mad at me? Why did he let me fall? And I said, hold on, you know, because I get offended for God. Do you guys get offended for God? Like when he gets blamed for stuff that's, you know, mm-hmm. so, but I love my aunt and I wanted, I, that I think this is a teachable moment. So I said, you know, did you feel, what do you feel that God's plan was when you were in the rehab to stay in the rehab? I don't know. What about going home? Why'd you go home? I did it anyway. (laughs) And I said, so, okay, so God had a plan, and you stepped outside the plan. And then there were consequences for that. Not because God was directly causing that, but there's just consequences for not staying inside God's plan. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So sometimes in our life, things happen that have nothing to do with anything we've done. Sometimes it's even someone else's sin that affects us. But sometimes we deliberately disobey God. God's will is over here. We are right here. And just like if we jumped out of an airplane at 3,000 feet, we would fall and break every bone in our body if we lived. When we step outside God's will, we experience natural consequences. And I think 
when they happen, we should say, thank you. Little reminder, I'm outside of your will. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's helpful sometimes. Better than, better the little tiny immediate thing, right, than the later thing when it's really big. It's like when I got married, this little old lady said to me, now, honey, you let your husband make mistakes in the early part of your marriage with the money, and then he will be so responsible the rest. You know, right now, y'all have nothing. But down the road, it will be a lot more money, <laughs> so let him learn now. <laughs> So, and I, I, I did, I just took her advice and I was like, okay, Mike, feel free to make mistakes. I didn't say that, but in my heart, I was like, whatever, you know, pay a bill late, do whatever. And he did, he made mistakes, but then he didn't make them after that. It was like his time to make mistakes and then he learned from this. Okay. Um, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm sure this can be me sometimes. Someone has like such a, you know, a selfish agenda. And then they're like, to God be the glory, to God be the glory, you know, and it's all about them. And I mean, I've seen myself do that before. And, you know, and then we're trying to act like it's not. He's saying, don't do that. If you're selfish, if you have selfish ambition, just say, hey, guys, I have selfish ambition. At least that's real. Don't pretend and don't deny the truth. Um, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. So there's earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, and there's heavenly wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And I like the way the NIV, can you read the NIV, that last verse, 18? I love that. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Or is it reap? Raise. Raise, okay. So, first talking about the wisdom that is from the earth. One of my favorite earthly, demonic, fleshly wisdoms is the whole back to nature thing, you know, and that's my favorite because I was studying several years ago about deserts and I was studying the Hoover Dam and how that caused some of the deserts in California to be able to be used for farmland. It irrigated the land. And so there was this group, I was reading, so I was reading all this stuff and then I, I was going online, I was looking at websites and I found all these interesting websites and then I found this one website and they were advocating return the desert to the desert. Return it to the tarantulas and the rattlesnakes and the Gila, Gila monsters, Gila, Gila monsters can live. And I was like, so I thought, should I send them a note and say, have you read Genesis 1? 
where God says to subdue the earth and rule over it. But I thought, you know what? I don't think Genesis 1 means anything to them because they had like some, you know, witchcraft and stuff. So I thought, I'm just going to pray for them. I, I don't think I can respond in humility to them and love. But I just thought it was so funny because nature, what is nature under right now until Jesus comes back? A curse. Nature is under a curse. So we have to be really careful when we talk about back to nature. Now, I'm a back to nature girl. I do not take medicine. If I need anything, I take an herb. So I'm, you know, I'm not saying don't do things more natural. I think it's good to be close to, you know, what is normal and stuff like that. But I'm never going to go around and go, wow, look at nature. Nature is so perfect because nature's not. Nature's under a curse. It's not, it's, it says it's crying out to be rescued from bondage. So for me to just think anything back to nature is good is foolish. Because if I read my Bible, it says nature is under a curse. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat healthier foods, that you should, you know, it's good to avoid processed foods and all that stuff. Because in our quest to subdue the earth, you know, there's stuff that's going to be good and stuff that's going to be bad. So, um, what's another thing? One of the one of um, my favorite things going around right now, and I understand why it's going around. So I don't I don't want to be mocking. I think I started saying that mocking, so I shouldn't I shouldn't say it that way. So I apologize. Um, there is a lot of talk in Christian circles about how the man isn't the head of the home. And it's very anti-men being the head of the home. Now, this is why this is going around. Because there have been cases where men, as head of their home, have been overbearing and have, you know, crushed their wife and children emotionally. And there have also been cases where there has actually been sexual abuse and sexual predatory and so that's wicked and that's horrible but that's not what it means to be head of the home it doesn't mean to be a sexual predator and it doesn't mean to be overbearing and crush a family so if someone's doing that they're not being head of the home do you see what I'm saying so it doesn't negate being head of the home so men, the Bible hasn't changed, and men are head of the homes. And as wives, we're supposed to respect our husbands, and we're supposed to submit to them. If they ask us to do something that would cause us to disobey the word of God, then we can't do it. Because we have a higher law. But God set up a patriarchal family. And we can decide we don't like it, but that's pretty foolish because for us to decide we don't like it is prideful to say to God, my way is better than what your word says. I know better. Now, when you come to situations like this, and here is where you can see the difference between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. Because for someone who's a pastor, a pastor's wife, a leader, a deaconess, 
and a woman comes to you and says, my husband is abusive, then what do you do? Number one, find out what their meaning of abuse is. Because one time someone told me their husband was abusive and it was that he did not shower enough. Which honestly for me, that would be a pretty intense problem. But we were able to handle the whole problem really quickly. And um, so find out what their meaning of abuse is. What else? Find out what their meaning of abuse is. What else? If someone comes to you and says, my husband is abusive, what is a wise way to handle that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Y'all can handle this yourself. Yeah. So you find out what they mean by abuse, and then what's the next thing? If they are in danger, they need to, if, they, if they're in physical danger, they need to get out of the situation temporarily. The hope is to fix the problem. Well, that's a good question, and I'm going to answer that in kind of a roundabout way. Any one of you who came to me, it wouldn't matter if you were coming to me as a friend or an authority because I'm your pastor's wife. So then I have to treat it that way. If anyone in this room is a deaconess and anyone else, any member of the church comes to them and they're a deaconess, they have to handle it that way because that has to trump everything else. I personally have handled situations with friends and then with people who were in my care, and I handle them exactly the same, except if someone is part of another church, I always really encourage people to go to their own pastoral staff, and this is why. When people are under your care in a spiritual way, and this is off topic, but when people are under your care in a spiritual way, you have an anointing and an authority in the spirit. So it's not an authority to say, Mary, I'll do this. It's an authority that I can pray for you and I can see things broken in the spirit realm for you. There's like there's an anointing that God gives you. So a pastor has that for his flock. And so I don't, I don't understand how that works. It's not like I could say, well, this is scientifically how it works, or this is, I don't know. I just have seen that. So when you bring that person's pastor into a situation, there is a powerful anointing that person's pastor has. Does that make sense? So, and that's why it is dangerous for people to not be plugged into a local church because that covering over them is not there. And when people leave our church, I will be able to feel in the spirit realm when they plug into a new church. I feel a release. And I will like cover them in prayer until they're settled. And I, I can like tell you, I can pinpoint day and time 
It's just the weirdest thing. Again, this is just my personal experience. I'm not saying this is in the word of God. This has just been my experience that you have an authority in the spirit for people that you're caring for. So um, it's really important in a situation like that, since we're off track anyway, always impart <laughs> hope for marriage because God loves marriage and he hates divorce. So always impart hope for marriage and do everything you can to um, promote unity and to promote health. Toxic relationships are not just toxic to the person who's being abused. It's not loving to allow someone to abuse you. It's not loving to allow someone to verbally assault you. It's not, that's not loving, you know? It's loving to say, here are my boundaries. This is how people, people are treated and this is how I expect you to treat me. And, you know, I actually helped a woman walk through that with her husband and he had been emotionally abusive for years and years and years. And um, and she would just say to him, okay, here are my boundaries. And if you cross them, I'm actually going to, I'm going to leave the house. And so she would. And he changed in the way he behaved because he did love her. But because he was allowed by her to abuse her. He did not, he wasn't a Christian. He did not have the wisdom or the teaching or the background to know that was wrong. So, um, so that, that's, that's the most important thing is to do everything you can to keep a marriage together, do everything you can to heal a relationship. The goal is always unity. It always is unity, especially if it's two believers, because the devil always plans to destroy relationships. That is the devil's plan. The devil's plan is always to bring division. Sometimes, you know, when people are in, in, a, in a, anyway, what's the word? When, well, animosity is the antagonistic towards you. Sometimes you have to back away and give them time. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't force someone to love you. The Bible says to be at peace with everyone as far as you can. But there comes a time that you just have to just step back and give people time and keep praying for them and keep blessing them and speak highly of them. And that, that's the hardest, I think, to speak highly of them you know, if they've hurt you, especially if they've singled you out. And I, I think, I mean, we we did a show, Sarah and Laura and I, we did a show called Mean Girls. And before we were doing the show, we said, did you ever have a situation where you're in a group of people and someone walks up and they talk to everyone in the group but you? And they very, pur- how many of you have had that happen? They very purposefully leave you out. And you're like, this happening I always giggle for some reason it's always really funny to me but um so so that is you know that that is when it's hard but the thing I think when when we're in situations like that to remember is any negative thing that happens relationally allows us 
to Philippians 3. And what do I mean by that? In Philippians 3, Paul says, I want to know you. I want to know your suffering. I'm paraphrasing here. And I want to know your resurrection power. And so when we can embrace something like that and say, okay, Lord, I'm feeling so misunderstood. I am feeling so hurt. Oh, that's how you felt. Help me understand now from your perspective. And and let this be a time where I can know you more. Because, you know, the truth is we all, we all have blind spots. And I assume in my life, for every person that's hurt me, I have hurt someone else. Hopefully without realizing it. Hopefully not on, on purpose. But that's just the way the world runs. I say that, it sounds easy. When you're in the moment, it stinks, it's awful, it's hard. You know, and, and I, I can just say, like, sometimes you just have to hold on to Jesus while you're getting hurt. That's it. You can't even do well. You're just holding on, trying not to mess up too badly. So, um, but anyway, I'm off topic. So, wisdom. Wisdom is, first of all, pure. And one of the verses, if I pray over you, how many of you have ever heard me pray over you? Help whoever I'm praying, like, help Mary, help Jenny Rose, help Esty. Help her to love what is good and hate what is evil. How many of you have had me pray that over you? So you will, because that's a, a thing I tend to pray. And why do I pray that? Because I think, wow, shyness liking things that are evil. No, it's because... When we hate what is evil and we love what is good and we cling to what is good, it's, it sorts out all our choices. It sorts out all our choices. And, and we're not making an effort because as long as we're making an effort to restrain, I won't sin, 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 I won't sin. We're not living for Jesus. We're, we're living for Jesus when we walk away from the sin and we follow after God, and we're worshiping, and we're praying, and we're interceding, and we're witnessing, and we're mentoring, and we're transforming the world with the glory of God. If we focus on the sin, it, it magnifies the sin. Now, I'm, you know, don't sin. Don't sin. Hate that stuff. But hate it so much. Pray that God will have you hate it so much that you're like, Oh, there's a stench. I'm <laughs> I'm walking this way. So you want to get away from it. Okay, for anyone who's on this side of the room, has nothing to do. <laughs> okay, everyone is wonderful. Okay, so purity. So a pure heart. Jesus said that he wanted us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's a compliment to be innocent. It's a compliment to be pure. God can restore your purity if you've lost it to any measure. I'm not just talking about losing your virginity. I'm talking about, you know, maybe like I grew up in a home with a lot of pornography, so I saw a lot of pornography. I asked the Lord, you know, it wasn't like I liked pornography. It was that there was just pornography in my home. You know what I'm saying? And so... I asked the Lord to erase those images from my mind. And the only time I remember that is when I need to make a point about it to someone. 
like just now, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I don't remember it because God purified my heart. He washed those things away. So how many of you have things in your life that you wish God could wash? So my counsel to you is ask God to wash those things. Ask God to wash your mind clean. To Remember, we talked about Ephesians 5 and how Jesus washes us with the word and he scrubs us clean and he loves us so much. He's presenting us to himself as a radiant bride. He loves to wash us clean. So just ask him. And if you feel overwhelmed by your sin or something that's happened in your life, please talk to me because you would be so surprised how many horrible things I have dabbled in as a teenager that God just completely set me free from. So don't, you know, like I read Paul and I say, I'm like Paul, I am the chief of sinners and God had mercy on me. And so if you feel that way, I mean, you know, join, join the club. Amen. 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 Okay. So then it's peaceable. That means it pursues peace. And it's gentle. Um, I'm going to talk about peaceable and gentle together because I know for me, I am like a bull in a china china shop. Have you, there used to be this picture. I don't know what it was commercial of. And it was this bull and they let it loose in this china shop. And there was just broken stuff everywhere. And I am in your face and I tell it like it is. And I just, and I'll just walk up to people and say, that is sin and you need to get rid of it. And so one day the Lord said to me, you know, the, the idea here, <laughs> you know, I'm having my quiet time. The Holy Spirit's talking to me. The idea here is to win people, but you're, you're, you're hurting people. You're not acting in peace. You know, so I asked the Lord for an anointing to be able to speak truth in a way that would be loving and would impact people and not just make them feel bruised and battered. Oh, Meredith's been here. I feel like I need a Band-Aid, you know? That's not what we want to be. We want to be gentle and we want to be loving. Gentleness, the picture of gentleness or meekness is great strength that's controlled. A gentle person is not a weak person. It's a very strong person. And I'll, I'm going to give you an example vocally. Have you ever heard someone sing really horribly in a movie or on a TV show? Do you know those people are probably amazing singers? Because it is very difficult to consistently sound bad. And if you listen to their bad singing, now, if you really want to hear bad singing, you can find it on YouTube. <laughs> but <laughs> there are some bad, yeah, it's just bad singing. But sometimes you can hear people who are good, great singers, but they're on purpose singing badly. It takes a lot of self-control and a lot of vocal technique to do that. So um, all of a sudden, all these YouTube videos are flashing through my mind, and I'm trying not to laugh. So, um, so in the same way... A meek person is someone who is very, very strong, but they have chosen to humble themselves under God's mighty hand. And do you remember when we talked about humility? I said, 
we don't need to wait for God to go smash your humble. The Bible doesn't say let God smash you, let God humble you. It says humble yourself. You just humble yourself. All it is is magnifying Christ and saying, okay, it's Jesus, others, me. Jesus, others, me. I'm putting my agenda aside. I'm allowing God to lead, you know, and um, so, okay. Um, so full of mercy, good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. What are the last two words in that paragraph you have? Whoever has the NIV. Impartial and sincere. I like that. Impartial. I like that. So, full of mercy, full of good fruit. One of the things I learned early on was to say whenever I saw someone in a bad situation, but for the grace of God, there I go. Now that I'm 54 and I've done every horrible imaginable thing that can be done, it's very easy to say. I don't even have to. But you know, when I was 18 and I had it all together and I knew everything, then it was really hard to say it. But after quite a few years of failure, it's really easy to say it. So um, if you're in that time of having it all together, <laughs> you won't in a few years. <laughs> if you're in that mindset, then just make an effort to have mercy on people, to have mercy because... God had mercy on us. And I remember, you know, when I was in my car accident, um, I don't talk, I talk to the accident a lot, I don't talk about this a lot, but my friend was in the accident with me. She died. She was in the front seat. And she was 16. And she was beautiful. And her parents, you know, loved me and forgave me. But I really had to struggle with that. Like, I'm responsible for this beautiful young woman's death. How do I live with that? And I remember God just saying to me, because I would say, Lord, I'm a murderer. How are you ever going to use me? And he would say, look at Paul and look at Moses. And who appeared before Jesus? Moses in the transfiguration. So God loves to take people who have blown it and he loves to turn them into these amazing displays of his glory and mercy and grace. And so if you struggle with who you are, or even who you're not, realize this is all about Jesus. And what wins people to want to follow after Christ? And that's what makes you a leader. A leader in the kingdom says, hey, I am following Jesus. I'm running as hard as I can. Come on, let's go. That is a leader in the kingdom. That is a leader in the kingdom. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I want to be able to say to me, you, Lisa, imitate me. 
I'm imitating Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is what it means to be a leader. And so we want to be full of good fruit. The only way to be full of good fruit as we minister to other people is to be connected to Jesus through his word, through his spirit, and we can turn the world upside down to the glory of God if we don't get in the way. Does that make sense? We can't get in the way of God using us. So we talked about the tongue and that it's a restless evil. But the Bible says not only is death in the power of the tongue, but life is in the power of the tongue. So I want each of you to take a minute and I want you to find a scripture that you believe God can use to build up the ladies here. And I'm gonna have us, as soon as someone's ready, I'm gonna have them read a scripture um, just a verse, you know, I mean, because um, I want to leave time for us to pray. But one of the things that we're doing, the activities that we're doing after every session are to help you learn to take this word and use it effectively to impact other people. And so I want to challenge you this week, be a woman of wisdom and think about at the end of every night, what I'm going to ask all of us to do. At the end of every night, examine your tongue. Go in the mirror and go, ah. No, I'm just kidding. But um, examine your tongue. Were the words you said today, this is you at the end of the night, Lord, examine my words. Give me some tips here. Where did I do well? And where did I blow it? If all you can think of is where you blow it, you are not listening to God, <laughs> okay? Because God is going to commend you, and he's going to bring stuff to your mind where you did a great job. So, and then if you blew it, ask the Lord, what is in my heart that needs to change because those words came out, and ask him to change your heart. Can you guys, who, who would be willing to do that for one week? It'd be seven days. Okay. Let's do that. So if anyone is ready, we're going to start sharing those words.